Okay, Jeff, I have started a timer this week to try to keep us from running too long. It is our um, it is our post-game fireside, which is family home evening, because it is Monday, or the USC game. And it's our last regular game of the season, and that feels weird. It feels like the Arizona game was just yesterday that I was sitting at the 50-yard line in the upper bowl of Allegiant Stadium, and then it literally was two days ago that I was sitting down in the 50-yard line of the Coliseum because USC was horrible, and so I, you know, got really good cheap seats. What a ride. What a ride this year was. It did feel like it went fast, probably because of 10 straight games. Like, those first 10 games flew by. But uh, all things considered, how can you not be happy with this season? Right? I mean, you have to be. I, I've seen people lamenting the Boise State game, and that's fair. Like, BYU let that one slip away. But at the same time, they, they probably should have... I, I realize this is going to sound blasphemous, knowing who our audience is. But they probably should have lost to Arizona State. Like, that, that Tyler Algier crazy play was a crazy play, right? To, to save the game. Right. Probably should have lost that game. And... Washington State, probably a toss-up. Like, they were gifted that bobbled snap on the PAT. And so, maybe they win in overtime, but that game should have been tied, at at least. So, yes, BYU let the Boise State game slip away, but the football gods gave BYU life when they probably shouldn't have had life against Washington State and Arizona State. So, it all kind of evens out, and I think 10-2 and is the record that BYU earned this year. You know, and, and that sounds really obvious to say, but it's not like they're, oh yeah, this was a six and sixteen, but they played better than their record shows, and uh, or uh, hey, they went eleven and one, but they were overrated. They they shouldn't have been that high. Kind of like a Michigan State. Like Michigan State really hasn't beat anybody, but they're ten and two, right? I, I think BYU is their their record, this ten and two record, and really kind of the game against USC was a very accurate representation of how the 2021 season should have played out. Yeah, I I think it's very similar as well. And we kind of, right before we started recording, you know, we talked through this of uh, while we're waiting for people to filter in of who we take 2020 versus 2021. And I think it would be a really good game, but I think because of just that battle tested nature of it, you know, I would definitely say I would take the 2021 team. And I think, as much fun as the season was last year, just absolutely demolishing everyone and getting to see Zach Wilson, for me, this season was much more fulfilling. And I think because we got the Big 12 invite, we, you know, everyone discounted us and said that last year was a fluke and we were gutted. We returned, we lost more production than just about every other team in the country and we ran it back and did it again. Right. And so it was the, you know, the uh, just the ability to capitalize on that, breaking in a new quarterback. We have largely, you know, it, it, it's we got new receivers coming in. We lost, you know, multiple draft picks on the defense and things that historically for this program going against the type of schedule that we had this year, we would, you know, it would be a very, you know, we would expect a drop back, you know, and I think going into the season, even as I, you know, talk to people in the program before it started, kind of told it was, you know, this team is better than last year, but they're going to probably go seven and five because of the schedule. And they made up the difference. And, and a lot of that is coaching. It's buy-in, right? And it's effort. Um, and so I, I just was a very, very awesome season. I had so much fun this season. 
uh, you know, the Baylor game was a good team. There's that Boise loss that is always going to be frustrating to look back at, but I don't, I don't really give too much credit or I, well, I don't give too much credit to Boise because three extremely fluky plays are how they won that game. And we, we, mm. we bested them in every way, but it's, I don't think about that game too much because there are so many other high points of this season that just completely outweigh it. Right. And unless you're having a magical season where you end up in the playoff and are winning a championship, you're always going to have things that you look back and you're like, Oh, that sucked. Or what if, and it's just like, don't, don't play the what if game, right? Like yeah. it's just enjoy it for what it is because the what if game is 99.9% of every team of every season. Right. And yep. so it's every not, year, it's more like a, you are lucky if you don't, you know, have that. And so if you are joining us um, in the audience, I did create a thread in the general channel uh, for the post-game fireside. So you can hop in there if you want to share things. I know we have, you can raise your hand if you want to chat and get on the air. I think uh, we haven't tried the text thing before, but some people may feel comfortable just sharing their piece or asking a question that way instead of getting on the air. Um, But there has been, since the game on Saturday, there's been a lot of news. And I think the biggest thing, one of the biggest things in 2021 for me in terms of college football is the level of secrecy that I never thought would be possible, right? Like the Oklahoma and Texas going to the SEC, and then we find out that it had been being worked on for over six months and not a single peep got out is incredible to me. And then we turn around and less than 24 hours after OU's final game of the season, Lincoln Riley's locked up for like 12 million a year going to USC. His name was not attached to that job a single time. No, no, it really has been a wild 24 hours. And, and I know Brian Kelly too now. <laughs> uh, it, it's crazy. You and I are going to have a lot of opinions on this on our, our weekly show. Um, it, it feels like we have to talk about it a little bit because Lincoln Riley and, and taking that USC job plays a pretty big role with the guy that we watched throughout the game on Saturday in Jackson Dart. If Caleb Williams, Oklahoma's quarterback, who kind of inexplicably was like on Heisman radar this year, which blows my mind, if he transfers, like most people are expecting him to, if he transfers to USC, the buzz, the rumors, the whatever you want to say about Jackson Dart potentially transferring to BYU suddenly become a lot more real. And based off of everything I saw in that game, now I... Anybody who has followed anything that I have published, whether it be on CSI, Give Them Hell Brigham, or just on Twitter, anything that I've published since like uh, 2019, you know how big of a fan I am of Jackson Dart. So is there some you know bias in this next statement? Maybe. But if I could get Jackson Dart on next year's BYU team, he would immediately be my favorite player or my favorite quarterback in the room. And while I think Jaron probably would be the starter, I think Jackson probably should be the starter. Yeah, I Jackson think he definitely would immediately, immediately push him. Jackson Dart, you guys, like Jackson Dart is, uh, he, he's unbelievable. His arm, go back and watch the highlights. Some of the throws that he makes, not only are they like crazy throws that, whoa, like not every quarterback could make that throw. There, there are some that are just downright NFL throws, and he's a true freshman. 
Like Zach Wilson did a lot of really good things for BYU. He set the world on fire and was the number two overall pick. And some of the things that Jackson could do, Zach Wilson would be jealous of. That throw that he made, that Dart made against BYU when he should have been sacked in the end zone, he evades the tackle. I think, I'm trying to remember who it was. I think it was Gabe Summers off the edge. I can't remember if Gabe Summers came off the outside or if he was the one on the inside. But two, two, the, really the whole left side of BYU's defensive line gets through. And Jackson outruns one sack off the edge. He breaks a tackle from the guy on the inside move. And against his body, with all of his weight and all of his momentum running towards the sideline, he throws a dot into, I think, double, maybe triple coverage, 30 yards downfield. It's the kind of throw that like John Elwin and I, I recognize the craziness of saying Jackson Dart and John Elway in the same statement. It's insane. And it's borderline irresponsible. I firmly believe that's the kind of potential that Jackson Dart has. And if There's Lincoln Riley national player of the year last year in high right. school. If Lincoln Riley brings Caleb Williams with him to USC. I think Jackson Dart could end up in Provo next year. And that would be I, just a an absolute program change. And, and I think this is the program already on the right track, right? Right. But a program changer. It definitely a program changer. And I think that's something, especially as we see all these coaches changes with the transfer, like there's gonna be a ton of names. There's already a bunch of Oklahoma guys going into the portal, not the Spencer Rattler kind who's gonna end up like playing in Tucson or Tempe. Um, but just as any time a big if a big coach leaves, you're gonna see guys, the best players of every team should enter the portal because you your coach left, you are potentially looking at a new coach, you have no idea, make them recruit you. Right. And it's, and if you're the best player on that, in that program, the new coach isn't going to cut you or they might, right. That'd be really stupid of them, but they're not going to cut you and say, Hey, you know, let's, it, you know, you're, you're all in, you're not all in. So I'm getting rid of you before I even set foot here, right. Test the water, see what's out there. You can always come back. And so I think it will be smart. And I think Lincoln Riley is probably one of three coaches that they could have hired that would have. You know, if Caleb Williams doesn't come and Jackson Dart is there, uh, Jackson Dart will be a Heisman finalist. I am like, if he stays at USC, 100% yeah, under Lincoln Riley's knowledge, I would guarantee that would happen. Without and, question. And, you know, but you enter Caleb Williams into the mix and then that could possibly change things, um, having that thing there. So it's, I think the transfer portal will be a huge thing in the offseason. Um, did, did you see today 100 D1 players hit the portal today? Yes, and I think some of that was coaching shifts. Some of it was, you know, you had your kind of exit interview. Some guys who've been pissed off since October or September and have been waiting their time. Uh, so the the portal and the train and the transfer rule change, which still isn't permanent yet, but everyone and their dog believes it's going to be voted to be permanent in like at the meeting in two weeks or whenever that is, right? Um, so it's that will definitely be something that is going to play a huge factor. And I think that's where we are going to see a healthy number of transfers, both in and out of the BYU program of guys who maybe are floating on the bottom half of the depth chart. We suggest leave and we bring an influx of guys here um, for other schools. So let's see, we, um, we do have a couple questions here. I will run. Let's 
So Jared the Cougar fan says, I don't remember seeing guys so visibly dragging the way Tyler and Puka were against USC. Not injured per se, just beaten down. Is there such a thing as overusing your best players? Uh, I think you can definitely overuse them, but I don't. I think they are just banged up. Like they're not injured, they're banged up, right? Um, and I don't think that they're necessarily overused. Uh, like Tyler Algier, if I look at his many carries like he's got 250 stat or 250 carries this year i mean that's a healthy amount but that's you know 250 that's 20 carries a game that's pretty normal what you would expect from your starting running back and that's not and that's not an extreme workhorse number of touches like uh like let me see i think it's i think it's a i mean 10 games in a row is really uncommon it's the ten games part, is what. Yeah, I, I, that that's right. such a such an anomaly. I mean, even like NFL teams, like you're you're mad if you're the NFL team that gets the week thirteen bye because that's just too long, right? Right. And so I I think that the ten games and then only having that one bye week that that was a killer, and I, I could BYU have done more. I, I don't think so, right? Because of the the nature of the schedule, there really weren't any built-in games where where Algier could have rested. You know, like you look at a game like maybe Utah State, you would have had that game circled at the beginning of the year as one that uh, hopefully Algier doesn't have to shoulder so much of the load. Well, that game turned out that Algier was the only guy who could move the ball, so he had to he had to go crazy. And so there just weren't very many built-in games. I think they they took him out pretty early in that Idaho um, that Idaho game, Idaho State game. And I think that that's about it. I mean, everything else they struggled against Georgia Southern, so they kind of needed their guy. Every other game, really, Algier had to play, and he had to play the whole time. Now, so the one comparatively, the just Derrick Henry, his uh, so twenty fifteen, the year. Derrick Henry won the Heisman, and uh, Christian McCaffrey was second. Derrick Henry had 395 carries and 11 catches. Christian McCaffrey had 337 carries and 45 catches. Tyler Algier has 249 carries and 26 catches this year. Like he he has a definitely healthy use. He was de- obviously our primary back, but he it's not like he was workhorse run into the ground. I think he's just got banged up because that 10 game stretch was zero break. Right. I, I think the best comparison is how Michigan State used Kenneth Walker. Uh, I mean, he's he's going to be in the Heisman list uh, and arguably he's the only running back who produced better than Algier this year. 264 carries and 13 catches, right? I mean, so right in that same ballpark as Algier. That's what you do when you have a, a bell cow running back like that. And so I don't think he was overused. I think he was beat up. I mean, his his style of play lends itself to taking an absolute beating where, you know, maybe a guy like Jackson McChesney, he, he's going to hit the outside more. He's He's not going to go for as many yards after contact. He's not going to seek out getting hit as much as Tyler did. So I think that that, that all played a role. But yeah, the, the, the 10 games in a row, that's just a ton, especially for college kids. That's an absolute ton. And uh, I think that's the biggest the biggest role. As for Puka, I don't know, man. I mean, Puka just kind of, he 
he was banged up. He never got injured, but he was, I mean, he did, I guess, at the beginning of the year. But but coming at the end of the year, he was never injured, but he was hurt every single week. He always had, a you know, whether it was his ankle or his hamstring or, or something. I mean, some of those guys, credit to him, some guys just get hurt a little bit. He was able to play through it all. Uh, he took some weird hits. He fell awkwardly a few first times. First game of the season because of a hamstring injury, right? And so those those tend to linger. You know, you yeah. get a hammy, you get a, an ankle, and that will tend to you get an ankle sprain, and that'll tend to linger throughout the entire season. Um, and so I think he's just you know he wasn't injured. It wasn't getting worse, right? It was you know he's sore. He's playing through some pain, and he just he's banged up. And uh, but I don't think I mean he had forty two catches and thirteen carries. I don't think he was necessarily, you know, extremely hurt. And I don't think he definitely was overused. I'd throw the ball 10 more times a game to Puka if we could. I'd throw it every pass play if you could. Puka Uh, Nakua is insane. Next up from Travis Turner, uh, who is your Hung Sung hero or heroes of the game? Uh, I think everybody noticed or should have noticed that Max Tooley had the best game of his BYU career on Saturday. And I think every, I mean, if you were watching that, uh, I also think the defensive staff should, I mean, it was frustrating watching, but I also noticed in being in person, you can notice a lot more that we gave a lot of different looks. And so I think some of the defensive struggles in that third quarter and fourth quarter were not only dark getting in a rhythm and, uh, but it was just us kind of wearing down and, you know, being tired and not shedding blocks well. And, but we, we came into the game with a very large menu on the play call sheet and so I think there was some execution there, but I think overall the defensive staff did have a good game plan. We just didn't do well at that. Um, we, we were bringing pressure from a lot of different places, trying a lot of different things. Um, I think my another underrated uh, person is Braden Kime. I mean, he didn't play extremely, extremely well, but he kind of is reminded me last year how we said uh, after the Louisiana Tech game, I said that... Uh, Joe Tukuwafu was my uh, my player of the game because of how he played in his first career start. Uh, I think I feel the same way or similar about Kime. I mean, I know Kime played last week, um, and he struggled this week. He didn't play extremely great. He was the lowest rated of the offensive linemen, but he's was graded right. I mean, the they all kind of show like he was right around uh, where Tukuwafu and Connor Pay both were. I mean, the kid's a walk-on freshman who is very young. He's still pretty lean. You looked at him, he looked like a twig out there compared to the other four guys. So I think just given the situation and the level of talent that was coming at him for a kid, I think Daryl Funk had him ready to play, all things considered. Like, I think we got, you know, being down to our third string right tackle going, who was going against four and five-star kids every single snap, I think Braden Kine did a hell of a job and deserves a shout-out. Yeah, I think that's that's totally fair. I, I mean, uh, my unsung player of the game, really the entire secondary. Uh, Caleb Hayes, Jacob Robinson, uh, D'Angelo Mandel, Malik Moore, uh, especially those first three, they, they just played so well. They were going up against, like, Gary Bryant Jr., he, he was unbelievable. He, he could have picked any school in the country. Jackson Dart had all day to throw it, right, and, and, and he has – one of the biggest arms in the country. They're playing a, a very pass-heavy offense that that had a lot of running success as well. So things were really open. Like BYU had to adjust a little bit and, and put some linebackers in the box. 
kind of left their secondary out on an island and they didn't just get torched. You know, <laughs> like BYU secondaries of old, this is the kind of game that they get absolutely scorched. And uh, the, the back end of the secondary held up really, really well. They had their moments, but this is USC. Like you expect to get beat against USC sometimes, right? You expect their elite wide receivers to find space or to get behind the safeties. And for the most part, BYU secondary held up really well, certainly capped off with Caleb Hayes uh, on that last drive, you know, big pass break up there at the end, made the tackle at the end, and then he bowed, and I loved the bow. He plays with some swag. Um, so for me, it really is those those four guys that, that kind of led the way uh, in the secondary. Yeah, all of the struggles defensively were definitely in the front seven, especially on the defensive line. Um, you look at where the bulk of the snaps are of, you know, coming out. I don't even remember who started, who was, who was out there week one as our starters. We, we had Zoe wasn't hurt. Caden Hawes didn't play on Saturday. He was banged up missing. Lenzo we had yeah. nice Amahe in there, but I mean, we're out there is, you know, Gabe Summers, John Nelson. They, they struggled a bit. Right. And it was, Earl Tuioti Mariner didn't have a great game. You know, he's played a little more inside for a lot of his career. He played mostly on the outside, so he's a little out of position just trying to get bodies on the field. I think the defensive line, especially where losing Hawes and losing Fawatea, that's what made a huge difference in that game. And I think with those two, it wouldn't, you know, uh, Melapea would not have been getting as much run um, as he would have been. So let's see, Kyle Campbell, why suit? A lot of questions coming in about just for the I, I want to address these right. A lot of questions coming in about non USC stuff. Um, we'll get to all these questions and we'll talk bowl yeah. scenarios, the transfers, recruiting, all that stuff on the regular weekday show or weekly show. This we're trying to focus a little bit more specifically on USC. So if we ignore your questions, we're not ignoring you. You just didn't read. You ignored yeah. us. You ignored so, us. So here we are. We have seven minutes and 50 seconds left before our timer goes off. Uh, Kalani said Algier deferred to McChesney on the final jive. Is that him covering for the coaches pulling Algier, who was gassed and had fumbled three times, or Algier really saying put in someone else? Uh, Algier, as soon as on that last play, he popped up and he immediately walked over to the sideline. Like he started yeah. walking over. So I think there's some of he took himself out. Uh, I mean, it, it is very uncharacteristic. Um, you know, he did fumble three times. That was very weird. Uh, the one fumble where Don Holker picked it up, he ripped it out of his hat. That was just the guy ripped it out of his hands. Right. And so it wasn't like a hit. It was a very strange play. The other two fumbles, I mean, it was, I don't know. And I mean, he, Algier does always have his shoulder taped and he kind of does move that shoulder around. So I don't know, maybe his shoulder is bothering him and it is, and he's just banged up and that is affecting his ability to hold the rock. Um, but I wouldn't, he's been consistent his whole career with pretty good on ball security. So I think it's just a fluke game for that. Uh, I was very impressed with those three or four touches that McChesney got though. Um, and excited to see what he does in the coming years and hopefully what his younger brother crew does. Cause he just, tore up corner canyons defense in the state championship game so i i'm assuming that should be why you offer we will be in the leader in the clubhouse for him to follow in his brother's footsteps because the mcchesney's are a very very byu friendly family um see uh that's not a um portal portal 
Um, portal, portal, bowl game. So a lot of people did not read the directions, or they just started. Maybe that was us. Maybe that's our fault. We just. I mean, it does say directions. It's true. It's true. It, it is possibly our fault. Um, any injuries uh, outside of Rex that will affect the bowl game? I don't look. I, I honestly, at this point, even the coaches don't know. You yeah. know what I mean? Like. And we have seen all year long that these coaches, they're not going to give any information on injuries that you can trust. And and that's really kind of the, what, what it boils down to. We know that Chaz IU was really close to playing this week. He intended on playing. He was practicing. He thought he was going to play, uh, but trainers didn't clear him in the end. Um, who knows, right? Who knows how long that lingers, but hopefully he's back. He should be back. We've been hearing all year long that Harris Lachance could be back this week, and, and yet here we are eight games later, and he's still not playing. So it, it's just really hard to know what's real. The, the, the only things I know for certain, you know, Isaac Rex is out, right? We, we've seen that, like that, that ankle injury. It's going to test him. Uh, I talked to Byron a little bit over yesterday or a couple days ago after it happened, just a quick text to see how everybody was doing, make sure everybody was okay. They're optimistic that everything's going to be fine by by season start, but um, it's going to be a rough couple of months. I mean, he's he's got some work ahead of him. Uh, beyond that, like Neil Powell, he's not going to make it back. James Empey's done. Uh, most of the guys who have been out, I would assume, are still out, with the exception of maybe Chaz. Yeah, and I I don't remember off the top of my head what Harris Lachance's injury has been his was weird because he got dinged up against i can't remember was it usf i think it was usf yeah and he came back in and played and so it kind of felt like hey he's gonna be just fine maybe this is a week-to-week thing but it's it's been two months yeah i don't remember what his is off the top of my head but i imagine that he will be done and it may be in his case that i don't well i don't know how many snaps he logged earlier in the season um, but it, it may be a case that, you know, they apply for, try to get him and apply for a medical red shirt if he, uh, well, I guess USF was game five. So that'd be flirting with there, but that could also be in play. Uh, we did have, I don't ask, were there any recruits that you know of at the USC game off the top of the, your head that you can think of? Uh, I mean, not 2022 guys that, that would like matter. Like Trey Roberts was there watching Chase. Uh, I think. I think the McChesneys might have made the trip down, so, but but no. I mean, recruits that that you would know, that you would care about, that are part of this next recruiting class. No, not not anybody that I know. On it. Um, okay, then we are at three minutes left. I think. What is your overall feeling of? I guess did this season meet or exceed your expectations? I mean, it had to exceed expectations. Nobody expected BYU to go 5-0 and against the Pac-12. Um, so it has to have exceeded expectations. I mean, look, here we are. Final weekend. Regular season is over. Brian Kelly's moving you know, out of Notre Dame. Uh, Lincoln Riley no longer coaches Oklahoma. And there's still an outside shot. It's an outside shot. But there's still an outside shot that BYU finds their way into a, a New Year's Six game. Like, that's a big deal. So, so yeah, I mean, it had to... It had to out what what is I mean out kick everybody's expectations. Everybody could have been surprised with this year, and and BYU shook some demons. You know they got rid of the um, 
the the streak. They beat Utah for the first time in a decade. Like that that's a huge deal. They uh they they came out. This is the first year that I can remember maybe no, even twenty sixteen, I think that it was close to five hundred. I think BYU was like three and two or four and three or something like that. But this was the first year that BYU really dominated a bunch of P five teams. I mean, they ended up six and one against P five teams. And and honestly, I know everybody said, Hey, Baylor was a better team. They just you got beat by a better team. I think BYU could play Baylor today and it would be a different game. Maybe BYU still loses. Uh, but that was that was a bad game. Like that was one of BYU's clunkers. You know, the defensive line was terrible, and they played terribly. They didn't just get beat; they played terribly. I I wish even more than the Boise game. I wish BYU could have that Baylor game back. Watching the Boise game, I think anybody who watches that game objectively knows that BYU was the the better team, but they just let it get away. But watching that that Baylor game, it was wow. BYU doesn't look very good. Baylor looked fine. They looked like what we've seen Baylor look like all year long, and that's a top 10 team. But BYU looked terrible. And I wish that BYU could have that game back. Maybe they still lose. Probably. Probably they still lose. But I, I think that if they could, you know, any other week, BYU would have played well enough that it changes the narrative of they just got beat by a better team. Yeah, and you, you could, I think... They probably let the Boise game uh, overcome them twice and heading into that and, you know, the the travel. That's one thing going forward is figuring out the travel and getting used to playing in earlier kick games. Um, and that's just a routine thing. More games happening coming in the Big 12 that'll happen. Um, one last thing, this is actually totally unrelated. So I was working, looking at some stuff and kind of trying to assess where, kind of what are the strength of record, um, right? And it's obviously... This is the 16th time that we have won 10 games. Um, that's you know kind of it because a lot of times we used to play 11 games. Not every season has the same number of games, so not all 10 game seasons are created equally, blah, blah, blah. Um, but just trying to assess the strength of record, and I think definitely playing uh, five or seven P5 programs plus Boise State is, or who even though they're down this year, you know they are a... In terms of on-field play, they are right in the thick of it with being a P5. They're definitely one of the top 65 programs. Uh, you know, it definitely, I think, is probably the strongest record. But one thing I noticed today, and I think we really underappreciated the 2019 season. Like, I know they finished 6-6 six and six in games against, or I guess 7-6, and because I excluded as I was looking all this. I excluded all the games for FCS schools. But you guys, that of the twelve FBS games we played in twenty nineteen, nine of them were against teams with running winning records. That's the that was the most ever in school history. Interesting, in I did not know that. So I I think obviously there's the problem that we lost two games to teams of the six losses. Two were with te- against teams with losing records, so that should definitely should not have happened. But the four of the six losses came against teams with winning records. So I think that season is a little. Uh, it's a little underrated in terms of, and I think yeah, that's interesting. Had we dug into it a little bit more, we probably could have seen the explosion that last year saw, because we saw a really, really young team who played a lot of pretty dang ball, good ball clubs, take that step last year, and it's continuing. And it's Kalani has a good thing going, and we need to extend Kalani forever and lock him sure. up. Uh, he ain't getting no Brian Kelly LSU fifteen million dollars a year. I don't know. Uh, 
it's funny you bring up coming from, but funny you bring up Brian. From. Funny you bring up Brian Kelly because I'm sitting here reading a tweet, and and while this is a BYU podcast, it's also a we hate Dan Wolken podcast because Dan Wolken is the literal worst. Uh, he just tweeted that he has lost all respect for Brian Kelly and that he's a bad person. And I can't tell if he's being sarcastic. I don't think he is. Like, this is very on brand for Dan Wolken. Uh, Brian Kelly sent out a mass text to Notre Dame's roster, and I'm just going to read it. Man, let me first apologize for the late night text, and more importantly, for not being able to share the news with you in person that I will be leaving Notre Dame. I'm flying back to South Bend tonight to be able to meet with you in the morning, but the news broke late today, and I am sorry you found out through social media or news reports. I will have more to share when we meet tomorrow at 7 a.m., but for now, just know that my love for you is limitless, and I am so proud of all that you accomplished. Our program is elite because of your hard work and commitment, and I know that will continue. I will share more in the morning when we meet. Again, my sincere apologies for not being able to be the one to share the news directly with you, Coach Kelly. That text is what sparked Dan Wolken to say that he has lost all respect for Brian Kelly. Like, it was Brian Kelly's fault that this news leaked and that the story broke now. Like, clearly, he was flying back to South Bend. He's trying to meet with his, his, his team in the morning at 7 a.m. I don't know what more he could have done here, Dan Wolken. Dan Wolken is the worst, but, like, I Ugh. don't. I don't know. Brian Kelly is a good dude. Brian Kelly is one of my favorite coaches in college football just because he, I mean, Notre Dame was if he had a six and six year, his seat was hot and he had the humility that he went back through and he fired a lot of his assistants that had been there with him for a long time and kind of reworked and re changed his entire approach to the co to his coaching style. And it made a huge difference. And obviously they've gone to multiple playoff bids since then. Um, so he is an old dog that let himself was humble enough to learn new tricks. Uh, but I, I hate Dan Wolken. He's the worst. And not just because he's, so he's the only national writer who actually likes Utah instead of dunking on them all the time. Like everybody else does because their fans are obnoxious. He Dan, I don't know what he, else you would expect. It was, uh, stuff gets out, right? Like it's it, even if Brian Kelly wanted to keep it in news, as soon as LSU said, told somebody, Hey, it's in the bag, it's done. The word was going to get out. Yeah. And I don't know what he, what he's supposed to do with his players. Then if he's in Baton Rouge and he gets on Twitter or someone starts texting him and saying, Hey, we saw that you're leaving. What's the deal? What is he supposed to do? Yeah. Stupid. Dan Wolken. Stop it. Dude, he's the worst. Nobody, everyone, if you follow, if you listen to this show and you follow Dan Wolken, go and follow him right now. You do not need him or his Or unfollow people. us. We don't need Dan Wolken supporters. Yes, we, us. this Venn diagram needs to be two distinct circles Absolutely. and you got to choose. You can, you are either with us or you are with Dan Wolken. And we will mm. end tonight leaving you with that decision. Jeff, it's been a fun fireside. I like the timer. It helped keep us on track a little bit. We it only did. went like two good. minutes over. That's not and bad. We will, we will be back on Wednesday uh, or Thursday this week. I don't know. It, it, it might change things up a little bit because we don't have a preview to do this week. So That's sadly. a good point. Hey, so, so that means we'll do it when we feel like it, folks. Yes. This is our weekly schedule is moving from a consistent Wednesday release to a when we damn well please release. <laughs> because and we're in charge here. 
We are. And until we get paid enough to let everybody else be in charge, we will continue to be in charge. But if LSU wants to pay us $15 million a year, we will abandon this entirely and only talk about LSU sports. So if yep. you, Scott Woodward, if you hear this somehow, some way, my DMs Even a million. Even just yeah. a million. I'll, I'll say 500. I'll take 500 even. But any, anyway, anywhere between 500000 and $15 million, we are your guys. I am, yeah. a, I am a staunch supporter of loyalty, and I will go to whoever values loyalty the most. Yes, and, and value is an appreciation is usually shown in the forms of Benjamins or whatever, whoever is on bills bigger than that. Right. Jeff, uh, until whenever we decide to record later this week, give them hell. Give them hell.